Good morning. You are listening to the Behind in the Count, the best brewers podcast out there. If you like us, go follow us on Twitter. It's at BITC underscore podcast. My name is Lincoln, and I got something prepared for you guys that are a bit different. It's a little different than all my other podcasts. So right now I'm currently out in Colorado, so I'm pre-recording this. And I thought, what's one thing that you know, you can't, it's always good. doesn't matter when you listen to it. It's history. It's telling stories. I got some good stories for you today. So we're going to cover death by home run, balls that rebound, even if you drop them off of a two-story tall building, the worst owner of all time, an 84-game winning streak in climbing and throwing baseballs at the Sphinx. And we have good friends, Jack Chard and Kevin Barry, joining us later to do some Mount Rushmore's. You are listening to Behind in the Count. So let's go. Okay, welcome back. I hope you guys are all doing well. I am pre-recording this. It's Sunday nights. The Brewers just got an awesome win. Um, but yeah, I'm out in Colorado right now. My girlfriend's brother, um, he's moving out there with his girlfriend and he needed someone to drive his Subaru out there. So me and my girlfriend, we're going out there with my dog. Her parents are coming as well, so they're going to drive us home. We're going to stay at their place, has a pool. We're going to hang out in Denver, hang out in Boulder, go some breweries, do some fun hikes, go to some sick dog parks as well. Man, it's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it, but let's get this thing kicked off. All right, let's dive right into this. And if you're someone who doesn't really like history, maybe school just kind of punched you in the gut, and that's the reason why I don't like history. And the history that they teach in school, it's the bland history. It's the stuff that, like... Um, you know, they sing the Bill of Rights song, they teach you the Constitution, they got that song that teaches you the 50 states in alphabetical order, like, when in life will you ever need to recite that? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. None of the history that they teach you in school has practical utility outside of the classroom. However, if you do your own research and you listen to some history podcasts, if you know a little bit of history and you're at like a family outing or something like that, or you're with your work colleagues and some topic gets brought up in conversation naturally, and if you just know some cool facts or some cool stories about history, it just makes you sound so much smarter in these situations, where if your friends are talking about baseball maybe at a gathering fourth of july gathering you could bring up some of these facts and, and you'll sound like a total genius and people be like wow like jimmy was so smart i guess college treated him well no you just listen to my podcast but history is really cool i'm going to dive into it today i just want to start off though with a disclaimer here so if you don't like listening to euchre you are also just an utter, just total loser because Euchre is a living, walking time machine. And every time I listen to him, it's almost like I'm A, getting the play-by-play that I'd always get if I was watching TV. But on top of that, you're learning things and you're learning these stories that he tells while he's calling the games. It's just absolutely amazing. He's in his over 50th season right now and he's still as sharp as he's ever been. He hasn't gone downhill. I, I just want to state that you cannot trust anybody who who doesn't listen to Euchre. And people, everyone knows the name Euchre, but the people, you have to listen to him on a consistent basis to really understand how great he is at his job. It would be a disservice to not bring up Euchre's name when I talk about history, but we're going to go way, way back in time here to the 1880s and the 1840s. So, First, let's go to 1845, where the first official rules for baseball, they date back to this date. Um, William R. Wheaton and William H. Tucker, they were the two men who kind of wrote the first rule book. So the first rules were written by two Williams. In this year, 1845, William was the second most popular baby name, so William was really popular. Number one was John. Um, I feel like if you were a John back then, I think that would kind of convert to like a Chad or a Brad today. I feel like these Johns really got it on. Um, they were the life of the party. 
they wore their jeans or I don't even know if they wore jeans. They wore their trousers ironed. They had their hair like freshly greased. And I know that they had hair product back then um, in the 1840s, but I feel like the hair product was basically like chicken grease. And you throw it in your hair just to slick it back and aim at a certain side. But these two Williams, they made the rules in their rules. Back then when they made them, they probably thought they were pretty good, but now looking back at some of them, they're just absolutely hilarious. I'm not going to talk about all of the silly baseball rules here, but I do want to dwell on this one. So Article 9 of the 1845 baseball rules stated that the ball must be pitched, not thrown, for the bat. I'll say that again. The ball must be pitched not thrown for the bat. So what's the difference between pitched and thrown? So if you're pitching the ball, you have to kind of pick your spots, right? You got to pick your poison. So back then, the batter could call, you know, I want this pitch here. I want a high strike. I want a low strike. The batter had to tell the umpire before every single pitch where he wanted the pitch to be thrown. And once the batter would tell the umpire this, the umpire would relay it to the pitcher. And once the umpire would relay it to the pitcher, it cannot be reversed. The pitcher had to try to throw the ball there. And you might be thinking, like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would the batter get to choose where he wants to pitch? You know, the batter and, and the pitcher, they're kind of like mortal enemies in baseball today. They are competing against each other. Mano y mano, stuff versus stuff. Could you beat the guy with your stuff? Back in this day the pitch was supposed to be thrown for the bat. So although the pitcher and batter were on different teams, they kind of had the same goal. So the pitcher, they weren't trying to strike batters out. Strikes and balls weren't even in implemented just yet. But the pitcher and batter were kind of on the same team because all that they were trying to do was get the ball in play for their bare-handed fielders. So these Neanderthals back then, these kind of like cavemen, like that's just what I imagine in my head. And yes, these players did look silly. I looked at many, many pitchers from ball clubs back in this time. And if you did not have a handlebar mustache and you played baseball, you were just a total laughingstock. You know, that was the fashion back in this day. The players just looked silly, but the fielders did it as well. They, they didn't play with mitts. Um, the, ball, the object of the game was to get the ball in play. So the fielders, they got multiple opportunities per game to get, get batters out and stuff. But obviously, when you're not playing with a mitt, it's probably pretty difficult. And players back in this day, they described the ball as kind of being like rock hard but it had some rebound to it. So there's stories from this time that um, you could take a baseball and you could go up a two-story building, you could drop it, and the ball would hit the ground and would almost have enough rebound to make it back up to you. I don't know if that story is true, but this is the era of baseball that we're in right now, where the pitcher and batter were on the same team. It wasn't odd to have teams score 30-plus runs. Games would take a really, really long time. And it wasn't very out of the ordinary to have teams score 60, 70, 80, even 100 runs in one game. 100 runs, yes, that's a, probably back then was even a lot of runs, but it was probably compared to like right now when teams score like 18 runs. We see it happen maybe once every two weeks, I'd say, but still a pretty hard feat to do. These baseball games would take a really, really long time because there were no balls and strikes being called. So if a pitcher did throw gas underhand, and they probably didn't throw gas underhand until this one guy I'm going to mention here briefly, but they could look at as many pitches in a row and it wouldn't matter because their object is to get the ball in play. They could wait, they could see 100 pitches in a row and swing at pitch number 101. And that at bat probably would have taken, what, 35 minutes? But that was the object of the game, was to put the ball in play. This all changed, this pitcher-batter dynamic, changed when this pioneer came into the game in 1854 when the youngster Jim Creighton, he took the mound. Without Jim Creighton, baseball today could have kind of still been played like cricket because baseball and cricket, they have a lot of origin. Cricket was big in um, Europe and all over the world. And that's kind of honestly probably where the inventor of baseball got the idea of baseball. You know, even today we could look at cricket and see the similarities. They both play with a ball and a bat and strikes and they score runs. There are some similarities here, but Jim Creighton, he was like baseball's first professional, the first 
the first real pitcher because he found a way to a make the ball move when he pitched and spin the ball and he could throw faster than anybody in the league so he could throw harder than anyone could throw in baseball at the time and he made the ball move so this made him virtually unhittable in baseball journalists at this time they were pissed it was kind of debatable like is this throwing motion that he's doing does it fit our rule book because back then there was a rule that said like you had to throw with a straight arm and Jim Creighton kind of threw sidearm so you have a little bit of torque on your elbow when you throw a sidearm if you've ever thrown a baseball before that was very controversial but Jim Creighton, he started throwing sidearm. He threw with some heat. He probably threw like 60, 70, 80 miles an hour in that range. But they didn't pitch from the distance that they did today. So they pitched from much closer. So for the batter, it probably looked like it was coming in like insanely hot and the ball moved. It was nearly unhittable. He was the first Garrett Cole, the first like really the first baseball star. He became a national star. Everybody knew the Jim the name Jim Creighton back in 1854. And this guy was way ahead of his time. So I feel like this guy could have, you know, pitched in Babe Ruth Babe Ruth's era and still seen some success. But back in this day, I feel like the pitchers before him, they were kind of like Comic-Con guys today. If we if I went to Comic-Con right now, and found this guy wearing this weird superhero costume or wherever. And I just took him. I was like, hey, bro, you're going to play professional baseball. If I threw him on the mound, that's probably what these pitchers pitched like back in this era in 1850s until Creighton came along and changed the game forever. And it wasn't long until Jim became a fan favorite. People at the time were quoted as saying, you know, this pitcher, blah, 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 you know, John Smith, he's a great pitcher, but he's no Jim Creighton. He was just on an absolute another level, and this quote was taken 40 years after his death. A guy who's seen Jim Creighton pitch, he saw the game evolve in a different way. You know, after Jim Creighton started pitching sidearm, guess what? Everybody started pitching sidearm. It became a thing. So this quote, it's from a fan who got to see Jim Creighton pitch. He said, why, that man is not bowling. He is throwing underhand. That is the best disguised underhand throwing I've ever saw. He might readily be taken for a delivery. I don't know what that means, but I'm guessing it means something good. But yes, so the rules at the time said you had to throw underhand. So him throwing sidearm, it was like he's throwing underhand, but really, really fast. And he kept a straight arm, and that was crucial because that was the rules at the time. So yes, technically Creighton was following the rules. He was walking a fine line on them, and a lot of people disliked um, his way that he'd throw. Because, I mean... There's no balls and strikes in the game yet. So if you're nasty like Jim Creighton, it really doesn't matter how good you throw because your goal is the same. You can't strike batters out. You just have to get the ball and play it. And when you're throwing the ball super hard and you're making the ball move, you're making people look foolish, you're going to throw a lot of pitches and you're not really doing your arm and your body any good. So it wasn't odd for Jim Creighton to throw over 300 pitches in a game. But still, Jim, he was a very, very popular player at the time. He was one of the first baseball players to ever make money to play the game. So in that aspect, Jim Creighton was the first professional baseball player. He was signed on a contract for $500 or something like that. But let's go to the most important date here. So October 14th. 1862. Jim is just 21 years old. The greatest pitcher of all time at this point in baseball history. He's not on the mound this game. He is playing second base. And at the plate, he was also a very good hitter. He hit four doubles. And we fast forward to the fifth inning where he took the mound. And he, he didn't know that he was taking the mound for the last time because he pitched another solid inning. In the fifth inning, he comes to bat up in the bottom of the inning. And the story goes that Jim hits a home run over the fence. But while he was swinging the bat, it's stated that Jim suffered some kind of in, an abdominal injury. So probably like some sports hernia, something like that. He said that when he, um, after he swung here, it's something pop. And when he was rounding the bases, it was reportedly told that he told the next hitter, George Flanley, who's a Hall of Famer, that he heard something snap. So he hit four doubles, and he hit one home run. He probably pitched a darn good inning as well. But after the game, George George's stomach, his abdominal muscles hurt really bad. He was complaining about it. Um, Jim ended up dying four days later to this sports hernia. Um, so the first great pitcher of all time, 
he probably died because of the way that he threw the baseball. He threw the baseball with so much oomph, so much mustard, and so much movement that he would have to throw so many pitches just to get the batter to make contact with the baseball. It wasn't, like I said, he'd throw 300 pitches a game. So experts speculate that his abdominal injury was probably a chronic hernia that worsened due to the pitching of so many baseballs. And talk about just a movie, just death, right? Um, this story could be fabricated. There are a lot of people who were at the game that said, yes, um, Jim did hit a home run in his final at bat before he got hurt and he was taken out of the game. But some people who were not at the game, they say like, no, he did this when he hit a double. I'm just going to stick with the story that he died because he hit a home run. That's more heroic to me. But after Jim's death, um, it caused a lot of baseball fans to go into panic. So the world, the sport was just kind of gaining popularity, right? And then you see one of the greatest baseball players ever, the face of baseball, dies because he hit a home run or he hit a double and he, his abdominal muscle tore or something like that. So this caused baseball to lose some of its popularity and this prompted a massive rule change. So in 1864, baseball, they started penalizing pitchers who could not throw consistent balls that could be hit by batters because that was still the goal. You got to get the ball in play. So if there was a called ball four in a row, it was a free base. They're not four in a row, just four total. That's how the game was played. So Jim's legacy, he was the first pitcher to apply spin to the ball and the guy who made baseball change the rule to call balls in later strikes. So the man who invented modern pitching ended up dying from being so filthy on the mound. That is the legacy of one Jim Creighton. Let's continue. And let's stay in the year 1864. There were some other big rule changes. So right now in baseball, what's kind of the biggest rule that's kind of put at question, a controversial rule? It's probably the shift. It seems like every team, they have an exact spray chart of where this guy consistently has been hitting the ball for the last month, month and a half, or even his entire career. It seems like they always have the defense lined up perfectly so that you know there's a line drive to shallow left field and there's there's the shortstop or third baseman standing right there ready to catch the ball and we travel back to 1864 the most controversial rule in baseball was whether or not a fly ball could be caught on one bounce for an out so if there was espn back in this day one stephen adam smith stephen a smith he'd definitely be arguing and complaining about this rule change. And the reason that this rule was in place, so yes, you could catch a ball essentially on one hop for an out. This was done to help player safety. The rule helped players protect their hands from injuring their hands because their mitts weren't really mitts, they were more like gloves. But I just talked about how hard the baseball was back in this day. So it makes sense. If you're trying to catch a ball with your bare hands, essentially that's like a ball of concrete, you're just like a rock, probably hurts. It makes sense that they'd have this rule, but later that would obviously be taken away. But let's go back quickly just four short years. The year is 1860. And the Cincinnati Red Stockings, they become the first professional team in baseball, the first team to pay their players. So after the Civil War, baseball's popularity boomed. And initially, baseball was just a sport for rich people like bankers, lawyers, and merchants. And the, these rich people, they were able to play baseball because they had more time on their hands to practice for fun. Um, and play this game. So in this time, baseball was kind of similar to like people who are really, really, really good at golf. Anyone could get really, really good at golf if you're rich, if you have time to buy really nice clubs and practice. Golf takes so much practice and practice and practice. It's really hard. Um, and golfing is it's expensive. I mean, man, if I go out to the cheapest golf course in Eau Claire and I go with a buddy and we get a cart, I mean, I'm still spending like 30, 35 bucks. Golf's not a cheap game. So at this time, baseball was kind of like a sport like golf or like tennis, where it's really for um, the rich people. And if, if you wanted to be good at it, you had to be rich. These Cincinnati Red Stockings, they were considered to be pretty rich, right? You're getting played to play baseball for fun, a children's game, right? They're getting paid to do this. You know, $500 contracts, $200 contracts. 
that was a massive amount of money at the time. Not a massive amount, but it was a nice stack on top of your already well-paying jobs. And these Cincinnati Red Stockings, they ended up winning 84 games in a row. So these, this team, they're playing other teams. They're obviously not the team that they're playing are not getting paid for it. So they're probably you know working class people, hardworking people and these red stockings they're a team made up of lawyers and bankers and merchants and doctors and these guys are getting paid to play baseball so it's no surprise that they just kicked everybody's ass and this is largely in part due to the fact that this team was rich and they had excessive amounts of time more amounts of time than other teams to practice baseball because that their well-paying jobs allow them to do this and they were already getting paid to play baseball and this was kind of a second source of income for the players so this team they go on an 84 game winning streak that's insane they didn't even play 84 games in a season so this is like essentially winning for two straight years without losing and when news struck that this club was paying their players for playing the game of baseball, people were irate. This was a very, very hot topic, another debate topic that Stephen Smith would be debating if ESPN was around back in this day. So some sportsmen said that playing a sport for any other reason than love for the game was immoral and corrupt. So how do you think these guys would take the game and how it is today where we have these massive mega million dollar contracts? I would assume that they would very much dislike this and they'd probably be just repulsed and let's fast forward a little bit here so i said baseball's popularity took a massive decrease after the death of jim creighton the first national baseball icon this would kind of be like right now if a guy like elon musk if he died because of some malfunction in his Tesla. I'm sure Tesla would take a massive, massive blow to something like this. This is kind of what we can compare um, Jim Creighton's death to doing in baseball. It took a massive decrease. But this all kind of started to change the years after the death. So, you know, right after the death, people are like, oh, baseball's bad. But slowly and surely, baseball starts to gain popularity. And this is in large part due to a man named Al Spaulding. He was a pitcher for Boston in 1872. And before what I get to my main point here and what he did for the game of baseball, how was Al Spaulding as a player? He's a Hall of Famer. And in 1872, he had a final record as a pitcher of 38-8. and eight. So he was a hurler. So he pitched in 46 out of the club's 47 ball games. And only one other pitcher on the Boston club even earned a win in 1872. But after his playing years, Al Spaulding, he kind of dedicates his life to the game of baseball. And he's kind of a businessman to market baseball to people. So in 1888, Spaulding and other major league players at the time, they went around the world to promote the game of baseball. And Al Spaulding, he was the mastermind behind this whole tour. So imagine right now, you know, you take some of your buddies, right? And you double, you get your buddies' buddies, and your buddies' buddies' buddies, and your buddies' 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 buddies. You get a ton of guys. Al Spaulding, he did this world tour with 40 plus people. He had two organized teams to play each other, right? So it was the team from Chicago, which was, you know, 10 people. And then the team from the rest of the United States, it was called the All-America team. So it was basically Chicago versus everybody else. So, And these were the people going on the trip. Two baseball teams and an umpire and a couple of sports writers. But back to my point, if you organize a plan or a trip with your friends, you invite your buddies, buddies, buddies and stuff like that. If you've ever organized a trip like this, it could be so frustrating and so difficult to plan things out with your friends and get everybody on board. It's tr planning a trip just with your girlfriend, it could be kind of difficult to do. You gotta find fun things to do and things like that and see when things are open. This is so, so impressive because Al Spaulding did this tour in a time before air travel. He had to get a bunch of dudes who don't organize things well he had to find, you know, he had to use the stars to navigate. He had to find railroads and find docks where boats could take him from the West Coast to Hawaii, then from Hawaii to Australia, and then Australia to um, Africa. I mean, man, this guy is just, it's very impressive what he did. But what would these guys do on this tour? They would travel around the world. And first, they started in Chicago, and they moved westward. And they'd stop, I don't know, 
maybe every 100 miles or so. They stopped a lot in Iowa. Then they made it out to the Dakotas. They'd play baseball games. They'd show everybody how the game's played. It was just kind of kind of a fun thing to do, right? And you go out to the Rocky Mountains. They played some baseball games in Utah and Colorado. And then they get out to the West Coast, and they keep on doing this and doing this over and over again. They go to Hawaii, and then after that, like I said. But let's fast forward here until they get to Egypt. So if you know anything about Egypt is that there's a lot and a lot and a lot of history in Egypt. You know the pyramids and you know the Sphinx, right? Those are the two big landmarks. So these baseball players, if they're going to travel around the world, they're obviously going to take some photos, right, for the gram. These guys, they go to the Sphinx. And the Sphinx, I don't know much about it um, religiously, but I know that a lot of people from Egypt, they go to the Sphinx just to pray there um, to their gods or I don't know. It's, it's a very religious ground. It's kind of like the Mecca. It, you know, People go there just for their religion and just to worship. These guys, these 40 guys from America, these ballplayers, these dudes, they go to the Sphinx and they climb all over it like it's a playground. They like, like just imagine how horrified you would be if, if you're a citizen in Egypt at the time and you go there to worship and these these white dudes in these weird uniforms and these weird mustaches, they just start climbing and throwing baseballs at the thing that is so sacred to you and your people. I mean, this is not a good look for baseball, but in the Baseball Hall of Fame, they have the picture that these guys took with the Sphinx and the players are like right on the Sphinx's shoulders. They're climbing on it and there's guys below and you could see the people trying to pray around it, trying to ignore these assholes. And I don't think that there's any baseball players from Egypt. This is probably the reason because, because these baseball players, they were so disrespectful to their culture and their religion. Um, and also cricket is a massive sport in Egypt. So that's probably the reason why, but I just want to bring that up because that's hilarious. It's so insensitive. All right, let's fast forward in time a little bit here. We hear people complain about their owners all the time in sports today, but baseball has a really strong history of just having absolutely terrible people owning teams. All you have to do to own a team is have a lot of money, right? It doesn't really matter what you do or what how you behave when you're the owner. Marge Schott, she was absolutely terrible. She owned the Reds from 1984 all the way until 1999. To say that she was controversial was a huge understatement. She was just inconsiderably just terrible. She was a bad person. She was banned for baseball for an entire year for something I'm going to talk about later. She was just one crazy bitch. But what did she do that's good? She did a couple of things that were good. She made ticket prices lower and concession food affordable. So if we go to Miller Park right now, you buy a hot dog and a soda, you're looking at $13. And yes, inflation, all this stuff. But she lowered these prices. That's a good thing. She was considered friendly and approachable to children. And she was a huge dog person. If you know me, I love dogs. Um, people who are like hardcore, hardcore, like cat lovers and cat people, they, they can be kind of weird sometimes. I don't know, but people who love their dog as much as Marge, she like she loved her dog like way too much. Like crossed the line into like cat person territory because it's stated that she would rub her players and her um, team members with her dog's fur for good luck. So she'd keep dogs, her dog's fur in her pockets with her every single day. She'd have a bundle of fur with her, kind of like laundry lint that she'd just keep in her pocket. And she also had a stockpile of this dog fur at her house. And she even kept the dog fur from previous years and dogs that she owned five, ten years ago. She'd have massive amounts of dog fur and she'd walk around with this in her pockets intentionally. Further, she organized this kind of a birthday party thing before a game against the Pirates. It was just a fun expedition game right before the season started in 1994. Um, she organized this event where she showed up to the game in a limousine. She walks out. She's got a birthday cake in one hand. She's got her big dog in the other. I think she owned a St. Bernard, and if you know those things, they drool a lot. They're massive. But they're, they're doing this in front of the entire crowd, in front of the players and everybody. She gets out of the limo. She's got the birthday cake. She, like takes her fingers, scoops up some frosting like we always do, but she's doing this in front of 20,000 people plus. She puts her fingers that has frosting on it in the St. Bernard's mouth. The St. Bernard obviously licks a little bit. There gets some drill on her fingers. And then instead of just like letting her dog like finish the frosting, 
um, she takes her fingers out of the dog's mouth and puts her fingers into her mouth and finishes the frosting off. So she makes out with her St. Bernard in front of everybody. And then to top it off, after that, they played Happy Birthday over the, over the public address system. And she got kind of pissed off at this because she thought that more people would sing along. She looked in the Pirates dugout and saw that the manager wasn't singing along. And she got pissed off about that. And she took this aggression out on her front office employees, saying that it was their fault that the party was not a bigger hit. She also made it so that when the Reds would score a run, it would say woof woof like on the scoreboard. That's just bizarre. You know, once a year the team gets together as a whole team and they take a picture before opening day. It's like the team photograph. In every single Cincinnati Reds team photograph, while Marge was the owner, she made sure that her big fat St. Bernard was in the photograph with the players. This dog was a member of the team and probably had more rights than most of the players. And if you've ever stepped in dog poop before, it's one of the most disgusting things because it smears, it gets all over the bottoms of your shoes, your Crocs, you gotta wash it off, and it just reeks. So if you're a dog owner, you know that you always have to walk around with your poo-poo bags, um, and things like that. But what Marge would do in between games is she'd let her dogs off leash and just let them roam the ballpark. However, at this time, Cincinnati, they played on AstroTurf. And if you know anything about AstroTurf, it's that it was kind of like a carpety material. Like water just wouldn't soak into it like it would normal grass. We've heard stories about the playing surface of AstroTurf and that's super hard. And if you hit a ground ball, it just slingshots the ground ball right off it. Like it just rebounds right off of it. It's kind of like playing on gravel or concrete, like I said before. But she'd let the dogs roam the field and use the field kind of as a dog park. The dogs would go poop and pee on there, and she wouldn't clean it up. So the Cincinnati Reds players, it, when they're warming up for the games and even when they're in the games, they have to navigate the field appropriately to not step in the dog poop or the dog pee. In 1990, there's a story that the dog pooped around where the shortstop would play. The grounds crew came in. They picked it up before the game. And the first pitch of the game was a line drive that the shortstop said hit like the same exact spot where the poop once was. And obviously this is disgusting. The poop's gone, but the poop residue is still there. So this guy, he's got poopy hands. And I think we could all agree that having a dog is a good thing. The Brewers, they have the team dog that's probably dead, like I talked about before, Hank the dog. Uh, not a big fan of it, but... It's, it would be nice to have a dog walk around the clubhouse every now and again. But too much dog could be a bad thing, especially when it's not your dog and you're a player and you know, you're trying to do your job, but the dog's always around, the dog's getting more attention than the players themselves. This is a quote from one of the Reds players at this time. Quote, the dog is a big, big negative. It's embarrassing for the players. They talk about it all the time in the clubhouse about how angry they are about it. The fans laugh about it because they're embarrassed. And it continues here. Quotes. It's like, how stupid could this get? The dog craps on the field every night, and the same guy has to scoop it up. People laugh at this guy. She does some inhumane things to people. And if you're a dog owner, probably the worst thing your dog could do is like poop where it's not supposed to. Like when my dog was a pu puppy, she pooped in my room a couple times and like in the hallway. She never pooped in anyone else's room. But Marge, her dogs, they pooped in Bob Quinn's room. This is the Reds general manager. So the person right under the owner, right? One of her dogs pooped in Bob Quinn's office and she made him clean up her dog's poop. And if you're an owner, you obviously have a lot of money, but there's nothing worse in this world than people who are cheap, who have money to spend. Marge, she'd charge her employees 35 cents to eat day-old donuts. I mean, 35 cents, it's nothing, especially if you're a millionaire or maybe even a billionaire, probably just a millionaire, but multi-millionaire. 35 cents per donut, that's not going to make a significant increase in your wallet unless you're selling thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of donuts. And if you know me, you know that I survive on coffee. I've already had two cups of coffee this morning as I'm recording this. And if you work in a school environment or an environment where there's a fresh cop coffee pot, that's kind of communal. You know, you walk in there, you could grab a cup of coffee, boom, leave. It's free. It's for everybody, right? Like I lived in a house with six roommates. I'd make coffee in the morning, make 12 cups worth, fill the Fill the sucker up. It's for everybody's use for the whole day. Marge, she would charge her employees 10 cents per cup of coffee. That's despicable. She made her employees pay if they want to use tissues to blow their nose. All-time cheapo move right here. So 
if you go to a Brewer game, you know how in left field they kind of show you all the scores from around the league. And it's just kind of nice to know, especially later in the season, when we're just hoping and praying that our division rivals will lose. Like, like it's a big thing, especially if it's September baseball. That's You need that in your stadium. Marge, she's looking to cut costs, things that your team doesn't need. She removed this from the Cincinnati Reds stadium because she didn't want to pay the electricity bill to, you know, power the scoreboard on this expense that she didn't think was worth it. And you'd think after making this decision, she'd see how rash it was and maybe um, regret this choice and then put the scores back on the scoreboard. But no, she supported her decision and she, she said, no, why do they care about the game they're, when they're watching another one? They could get it on the radio, can't they? Like, what a bitch. Her cheapiness does not start there, no. She would turn off the AC in the summertime to save money, and she would check her employees' garbages to make sure that they were using both sides of their notebooks. And as a guy who uses a lot of notebooks, I don't like using both sides sometimes, especially if I use a sharp tip pen that kind of pierces through the paper. I hate writing on that back side of the paper, so I would be fired in an instant. So if you're an owner, probably the greatest thing that could happen to your club is win the World Series, right? It would be a time of celebration, a big success. You'd be in the history books forever. Well, Marge did this in 1990. They beat the Oakland A's in a four-game series. You'd think Marge would be pretty happy about that right maybe stop using her pet fur all the time because maybe it worked out and she'd drop it because you know we won the world series drop the weird thing um but no she was pissed about them winning the world series because they did it so easily she thought that if the series would have lasted longer her team would have profited even more money from ticket sales she wanted the game the series to go seven and it did not and she was very upset about that and she was vocal about it what does she do about it? So after the World Series, you know, the guys are celebrating the locker room, spraying champagne everywhere. Usually there's some type of caterer that meets them in the locker room so they could have food and they don't have to go to bed and drink on an empty stomach. Because if you drink on an empty stomach, it's not a good thing. We all know that. Um, she cancels this catering to the field. So now the players have no food to eat. They're hungry. The players have to go to Carl's Jr. to get cheeseburgers to drive through place at 3.30 in the morning. And when news kind of started coming out that, you know, this catering service that got canceled, the Reds don't have anything to eat, the hotel that the Reds were staying at, they have a restaurant there, most like most hotels do, they always have a restaurant. Um, the restaurant was willing to stay open, keep the crew, have them stay late um, to feed these hungry players. Marge personally stepped in and said, no, we don't want this. And I mean, dang, like if you're one of the players in this team, you know, you get to the highest point in baseball, you win the World Series and your owner's just pissed off, and you could hear her complaining about winning the game so easily on the airplane, I mean, this would take away a bit from actually winning the World Series, wouldn't it? Just imagine if Marge was around in the era of social media. I feel like with, she'd have so many hot mic situations and hot camera takes, and it would just be hilarious if she had a Twitter account back in the 90s. But this begs the question, how did Marge even become the owner of the Cincinnati Reds? So Marge, her husband, he died of a heart attack. And Marge, she um, assumed control over his massive car enterprise. So she took over his businesses and she kicked ass at it. She got filthy rich and she became the owner of the Reds. That's how it happened. So did she probably kill her husband to do this? Maybe. She seems crazy enough, doesn't she? When Marge bought the team, no one really knew who she was. People questioned why she bought the team. Um, she stated that she bought the team because she wanted to keep the team in Cincinnati. However, the ownership before her stated that they had no intentions of moving. So she probably just said this to get some good publicity, and that worked. And you'd assume if you bought a Major League Baseball team, you would be an avid baseball, baseball fan. But the fact is, is that Marge didn't really know a single thing about baseball. It was stated in newspapers that she only knew the raw, raw basics. So she knew that hits are good, airs are bad, and wins are profitable. To top that off, you know, the owners, they get their own box seats. And it was stated that when she went to the Reds games, she wouldn't even watch the game. She'd be just talking to people. She wouldn't even be sitting in her seat. You wouldn't even see her. Also, there's a story that she she doesn't know a thing about baseball. She doesn't know about the 
rules about baseball. She doesn't know baseball history. So in a player's negotiations, um, an agent mentioned the name Barry Bonds. And she responded with, who is that? Doesn't even know the stars of the game. And in fact, it stated that she didn't even know the names of the players on her team or of the people who worked for her behind the scenes in the front office. She would do the thing that like we do, like where maybe you knew a guy a couple years ago and you forget his name but you see him in public and you don't want to mess up his name because that's really embarrassing and then you just say like oh sup dude how you doing man you know you just call him dude and man and never say his name this is what she would do but instead of saying dude she'd call everybody honey and you think just for a bare minimum she would know the teams in her division so this is an interview with a sports writer here so the question that this man states is who are your main competition this year marge says well i hope it's st louis because that would be a fun match we're so much alike we really are except you won't be able to tell our uniforms apart we get them all mixed up the question the man says i mean in the in the division race like who are you What's your competition like in the division? Marge says, oh, let me see. I don't know. Maybe Kansas City Royals. And then the man says, no, I mean within your division. Marge says, within our own? Well, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's got some young ones coming out. In Los Angeles, they're on a comeback. It's just hard to say because I think we could have a lot of surprises this year. So she doesn't even know the teams in her division. And one time, the first lady, Mrs. Bush, she asked Marge, like how her love for baseball initially started. Her response, she said, I quote, I hate it. The, the first lady, she was obviously stunned. Well, I'm not even really at the tip of the iceberg just yet. I could continue and I could do this for another 20 minutes. I'm gonna save this for a part two. So we're gonna bury the hatchet, so to speak, with Marge here and we will continue in a future podcast. But let's get to our interview today. We got recurring guests, Jack Chard and Kevin Barry. They're back on the pod to talk about life's small victories. So we all know in the day-to-day life, the monotony of life, we look for these little key things that might happen to us in a normal day and um, you know, that's a victory. It's a good thing that happened. So without further ado, let's send it over to the boys. All right, recording in progress. All right, we got Jack Chard and Kevin Barry back on the pod. We're going to do a couple of Mount Rushmore's. The first one we're going to do is life's small victories. But before we get started, I just want your guys' initial reactions to this first half of the Brewers season. What do you guys think? Kev, go ahead. Are we happy? I think if we... you told me their record, I would. I kind of would have expected it. The last two weeks have been a little rough, but they're at where they need to be. Um, once he gets in that pitching back, I think uh, they could yeah. hopefully overtake the Cardinals. That's killing us right now. But... Yeah, I think I think when you're sitting here on, you know, it's June 26, you just take two out of three against Toronto. I mean, when you look at the record, it's not the sexiest. But, I mean, despite the injury bug, I mean, think about all the guys who have been in the DL. We've had Woody Peralta is going to be gone for a while. Obviously, Cole Long was hurt. Adonis was hurt. Urias started the year off on the I.L., like, all these guys were on the IL and that just shows like the depth of our team where you got guys like Jace Peterson who step up. You got guys like Rowdy who step up. I mean, Tyrone Taylor. So, I mean, I think like the pieces are together. I just think once you get rid of that injury bug, I think it's going to be a more optimistic second half of the year. Yeah. And Jace is playing like a rock star at third base. They were talking about him kind of being like one of the better third basemen defensively in all of baseball, which is just kind of crazy because the dude could – he's a plug-and-play type of guy. He could play anywhere. But, yeah, I just think we, we got to get some consistency, maybe add a bat. I don't know. Trade deadline's coming yeah. up. There's yeah, some dudes out there. Saying. Like We need a bat. We just need a, something. And I, I, it's weird now because you used to look at guys who are on the market who played on really crappy teams who, you know, they're hitting those 290, 300 batting average. But, I mean, the Nas- – the, the, like the league-wide average is 260. I mean, so what, what do you look for? Do you look for a guy who's got a high OPS but a low on base for, or like a low like batting average or like, I don't know. Yeah, batting's um, like, I think the best batting average on our team, I think it's Rowdy Telez because he has the most qualified at-bats right now. It would be Brasso, but he doesn't have enough at-bats to qualify for it. Yeah. He's batting like under 250 or something. So yeah. it's just been tough. Just tough. Yeah. Who are you guys' uh, first half MVPs, real quick? Ao, gotta go, I mean, Judge. I think. Yeah, judge. I think you have to. Yeah, that's... I think 
if it wasn't for Trout being hurt and then going 0 for 30, I think yeah. I'd be saying Trout right now. But I think it's got to be Judge, especially Dude. If, I mean, walk off today. I mean, yeah, if... yeah, I was about to say that. I was listening to the radio and they said that they were getting no hit by the Astros through six innings, and Judge hit a walk off three run shot. It's like they they can't like not lose a game. It's insane. They're on a tear. But yeah, yeah. So I think NL you have to go with Machado. Machado's hurt, isn't he? He but he. I don't know. First he, half, M- no first half MVP. He could be first half MVP. I don't think. I think he's out for maybe a little and, longer. I think Brewer Kevin. killer, uh, Brewer killer Paul Goldschmidt's right there. Yeah, yeah dude, he's nuts. He's your second. He's nuts. We dropped a home run that was hit right to us, right, Chard. Paul we Goldschmidt. Did. We did. Ugh. Like we were what first row in left field. Yeah, didn't even grab our mitts. It was didn't tough. even grab our mitts. All right, who wants to draft first? We're doing small victories in life. You know, I can go first because I think this one, this this one will get. I think will get taken. Um, anytime you're able, like this, anytime you're able to avoid traffic, like you know a shortcut (laughs) that has to be like you know you look at the interstate back to like 40 minutes and you know a different way and cut off 20 minutes. That's the best. That for me. Yeah, that's my number one pick. That's a good pick. And it's kind of crazy, like, if you're on I-94 and, like, your phone will notify you if there's traffic or something. So then if you see an exit, you could take that detour and just exactly. save, like, 40 minutes of time. That's a good nothing, pick. Yeah, nothing I, worse than sitting in traffic. Oh, absolutely. Worse. Terrible. I agree. All right, Jack, you go ahead. I will say, uh, like, if you're parking, like, downtown or even, like, in a busy parking lot, that last parking spot mm. – that last parking spot i mean like you have 500 spots and you're driving through and you may be driving and one person will be pulling out right when you're driving past and it's like all right i'm taking it it's the one open spot yeah it's great that's, take. that's a really good one i got into a situation in florida where we're like on this peninsula on this beach and there's only like 20 spots and we got there just in time when a car was leaving but this is that's the reason that i thought of this mount rushmore is because yesterday i got the last spot at quick trip or something like that so that's a good pick. But with my first overall pick, I am going to go with waking up just moments before your alarm wakes up, goes Ooh. off so that you have time to you know, turn it off, especially if, if you have like the super loud alarm that kind of scares you in the morning. Uh, this would just help you not have a panic attack early in the morning. Yep. So that's my good choice. Good that's choice. my one one. But uh, with number two, I'm going to go with a silly one here. So when you poop, and you don't really have to wipe, but you wipe anyways, just to kind of <laughs> stay sanitary. You know, it goes out with all one push, nice and it's clean. It's a clean poop. Yeah, just a nice clean, clean poop. poop. Nice clean poop. Nothing like I'm, that. I'm going to stick with this kind of like busy section, kind of you have to get in and get out or whatnot. I'm going to say for my second pick, I'm going to say when you go to a really like I think about like after Brewer games or even before Brewer games for like a tailgate or something. Um, you take that tailgate and you get that last spot at the bar or the restaurant. Oh, yeah. Because you have to around some of the bars. You got to kind of finagle your way around people. And Happened to me twice at Kelly's own. this year. Kelly's jam packed and it's just like, yeah, last that place spot, is awesome. That corner spot. Oh, the Free game at Kelly's. Take the shuttle. There you go. Dude, the shuttle drivers at Kelly's Bleachers are hilarious. I think I did it for the playoff game. crazy, too. Yeah, like, like they're crazy drivers. They're nuts. The guy wears a wig and everything. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah I think I got that know. guy once. Yeah, <laughs> right, good, pick, good pick. All right, I just thought this one on the spot. This is really, like, a dad thing to say. <laughs> anytime you, like, beat the line, like, you get somewhere, and then you're the first in line, and then 10 minutes later, there's, like, 100 people behind you. Like, that is the best. That's Dude, that might be the best pick of this draft because oh, that wow. saves you a lot of time. You're all about efficiency in this draft. And you got it. You oh, have man. to say, you have to say, good thing we got here when we did. <laughs> yeah. That- yeah. No, that's it's a good in. That happened to me yesterday. I was at Brewing Project, which is just a brewery. And I saw the line. There's no one at, at the bar. So I went to the bathroom. I came back and it was like 20 people deep. Wait in line for like 10 minutes. For all the timing, man. Yeah, it's all about the timing. I even think about that. That's good. All right, who's up? I think you got one more, Kev. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's make it back. Let's make it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, not not a big online shopper, but I will say, anytime you're buying something and you look up like the store and then put coupon, you took mine. <laughs> oh no, like ninety <laughs> percent of the time that does not work. Like you have like honey in your browser, like almost never works. Like the one time you get like fifteen percent off is the best feeling. It just makes the purchase feel like it was worth it. Yeah, promo code PMT. <laughs> yeah, promo <laughs> PMT. That's a good one. What's that website called that you get the stuff? I've never heard. Is of it that. Honey? Like you put it on your browser. It's and like, like Honey, just... and like if you look, you can get a. What is it? There's a like coupon code. There's like certain websites where it's a. Yeah. Like, retail me not. That's what it was. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it works like maybe five percent of the time, but when it does, it's a great feeling. Dude, that's clutch. I gotta, I gotta check that out. Oh, oh yeah, you just search up like Dick Sporting Goods coupons. It 99% of the time doesn't work, but the 1% it does, ultimate winner. That's pretty sick. Ultimate That's winner. definitely a small win. Honestly, it might be a big win. That doesn't even use That might be a big win. That might be a big win. Okay, I'm going to say for my third pick, I'm going to say, because really, I mean, like, dude, 2022, guys don't really carry cash around or anything. When you go to a place that only accepts cash, which is rare, but like, I'm thinking like maybe parking or something like that. And you have the exact amount of change. Like if you got, like, if it's five bucks, you got a $5 bill. Like you're not scrapping for ones. Like, you know, like, Oh, I got $4, but like, and then I, then you got to reach into like the chain store and grab chains. Like, no, it's just a smooth, like, Oh, I have exactly five bucks. Here you go. Dude. Cause that's a panic when like you, Right. Right. When you realize that you have to use cash and you're like, I had this happen to me this weekend. I went to the Kilty. Oh, yeah. A $42 order. No, $22 order. All I had had was my card. And I was able to like in my glove compartment. That's what it's called. Just scraping like singles and random change. I was able to get it done. It was an insane victory. Dude, that's clutch. Man, yeah, you gotta get your ice cream in. I mean, who doesn't take cards in, Dude, in yeah, 2022? It's wild. I've been to a couple of people bars trying to be vintage, vintage, like uh, trying to be people to be vintage, like the Kilty. I mean, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> old school, old school Kilty. Yeah, I've been there in a sure. while. Yeah, I haven't been there yet this year, man. Dude, my old baseball it. coach for Exonia, I forget what his name was. He was just Paul Clark. Clark. Paul Clark, yes, dude. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're we're not on the same Exonia team, were we? I mean, I was on the Iron Pigs for one year. I think I was. I, thought you, I think we were on the same year, but that was the year I started working at Pick and Save, and I think I just never showed mm, up. Yeah, you rarely. That sounds it. right. Yeah. Yep. I showed up once, and I remember Paul. He put me like batting last. I wasn't even in the field. That was like my last game I ever played in baseball, and uh, I think it was that late. Tough Hunter way to go out. Yeah. I oh just, yeah, like, I think I remember that. Yeah, I, I don't even know if the game. Ha- I remember I was on deck. I think after we got run ruled, so like I didn't even get a final mm. at that. But he'd always <laughs> go to the kilty just to like check out the chicks, and he was just this really creepy, like redneck big guy <laughs> yeah. driving yeah, around a minivan and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a that's a good pick. Good pick. Am I up? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, yeah. you ever get an itch that you just can't reach? Maybe it's the like middle or your back just yep. the worst thing ever you gotta act like you're like a dog and rub your back on something this pick is an itch that you can reach and easy to get one you know you're satisfied right away boom bro <laughs> right okay works, man. <laughs> now this one i don't know if you guys are as addicted as addicted to coffee as i am but i have a keurig now so you need those Ooh, little k-cups finally invested. yeah boy. yep Alicia's parents, they got me that for Christmas, but it's really good coffee that comes from it. But then it's like, you got to buy the K cups and it's expensive and you run out really quickly. Usually if you drink a lot like me, but my pick is when you think you're all out of coffee, but then you find an extra K cup, like behind the counter or something. Cause that happened to me like a couple days ago. And I was like, man, I'm gonna have to go all day without coffee. And then I found that thing and it just saved my life, man. Like and you sound like an addict favorite. right now. Dude, I, I am. Yeah, I, it's bad when I don't have coffee. Oh, brother. Yeah, it's no, really I feel not that. good. But yeah, Gotta stay I, stocked up. Gotta make yeah, that dude, I'm done. stocked up. I we went to Hy-Vee a couple days ago. We we're all good now. But yeah, I think I'm all out of picks now. But yeah, like, no, it's a good last pick. Yeah. My last pick is going to be the common problem. And this might be counted as a big victory, but it's the common problem that everybody has, whether it's toothpaste or shampoo, or body soap, 
you get down to the very end, you know, let's just take toothpaste, for example, you, you squeeze it and it's just nothing's coming out and you start going to war with this tube of toothpaste, trying to get this last little, 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 little bit out just to get through the day. Because if you can get through the day, then you can go get it. But otherwise, you're going to have stinky breath or nasty hair or you're just going to freaking smell in general. And when you get that last drop of like toothpaste or soap or whatnot, just have it yeah. to me today. Like if, if you don't do that, like you, you're just not being. Just wasting. Yeah, you're There's wasting your yeah. money. Like like a tube of toothpaste should last you like six months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Maybe right. three, but I six is it. <laughs> And then, and then once you get to that point, you just put water in it, you shake it up, and then it's boom, you got more. I don't think anyone does that with toothpaste. No, I just made that <laughs> Maybe soap, but toothpaste, no. Because I've done that with shampoo and stuff, but uh, yeah, I've never toothpaste. Too. No, they're toothpaste. Yeah, I've got the last pick. Char, do you still use that 18 and one? Stuff. No, dude, it's no 18. That's 18 that and one. Days, yes. That was college. Days. Wild. Yeah, no, dude, you no. could use it as like you could use it as like detergent. You could use it as soap. <laughs> like it was. It was like it was bleach just a, cleaner too. Bleach cleaner. Yeah. No. Gone no, those dude, days. That gone stuff smelled like actually like for 18 and one you think would be like toxic and stuff, but like it smelled good. Dude, it smelled good. I mean, yeah, it was like, good. I mean, it, it smelled good. It but... was all natural stuff. I don't know where you got that. Was that cost? Dude, my mom got it for me. She was, she just kept restocking nice. me with it. And I was like, I mean, <laughs> so I'm not going to pay for new soap. So what yeah, am I going to no, do? I, I agree. I agree. All right. Are we all done? Kevin, you got one I have, more? I have one more. All right. What do you all got? Whatever. All right. I would say anytime you get anything for free, I could spend like $200 on a ticket. But if they give me a $5 bobblehead, it makes it like all Fact. worth it. It just justifies my purchase. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. That's It's free to me. Yeah, so. dude. Free stuff's nice. Dude, you guys <laughs> see the, the Corbin Burns bobblehead? Was that today, right? I think it was. Yeah. I feel like I every time it. they do a Corbin, like a bobblehead, like their face, like it's always just like awkward. Like Corbin Burns was just like staring off in the distance, like weird. Like it was like an action shot, but like you can't really yeah. do an action shot in a bobblehead. Yeah, well, pictures are kind of yeah. hard too. To make. Like yeah. the batteries you can do a little more with. I feel like. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I like totally. I like free free pizza. Oh yeah, that's the best. free food especially. Yeah. Free food especially. Like those little parties that we used to have in like middle school, where like they'd get like four pizzas for your whole class and then cut the pizza up in like 16th so you don't yeah. get like a sliver yeah. but it was free or, it was a hit to piggyback on that one like when you go into work and like that like that one person in the office brings in like oh we had a birthday party we have a bunch of like extra birthday cake or like i'm feeling in a good mood so i'm gonna bring in a bunch of donuts and coffee like the best yeah dude free, coffee. free food Ooh. free food free you can coffee. make, make yeah. your entire day literally yeah. All right, really? I, I got a couple more for my honorable mentions here. I'll just rattle them off quick. So, yeah, have okay. you guys had the Parmesan garlic wings at Click Trip? Yep. They're Maybe amazing. Not. But, no. oh, dude, if they have them, you have to try them because that, that, that's like, so good. They rarely have them for some reason. But Quick Trip off one, Highway 83 in Delafield. Oh, dude, yeah. Look I had a buddy that worked there. That's where it is, man. Zach Schrader. Yeah, Zach Schrader. Dude, he's <laughs> gone now. He's sure they are. He just disappeared. Aw. Yeah. Actually, no, he works in a factory where like bull semen like he works in a lab where he zaps bull semen so that like he kills the male cells just because they don't want males they want females i saw him at a wild oh yeah that dude yeah it's pretty sick pretty sick i said not getting yelled at by your mom and then yeah that's all i got oh when you roll up to a traffic light just in time so it's red and you roll up just in time you put oh, it right and it turns green. And that should have been the first pick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah was, well, that should have been. It's so good. much fun. You guys got any honorable mentions? I had uh, one. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, mine was just trying anywhere new and like it's actually good. The only yeah. times I try somewhere new, it just sucks. And it's just, like, I'm, why'd, I, why'd I go here? I should save my money. But you try somewhere new and it's awesome. Like find a new spot. That's the best. Dude, yeah. Dude, that was my dad and I. We were down in Omaha for College World Series, and uh, we didn't want to go out or anything. He's like, let's just order a pizza. Let's order a pizza. And I'm like, go back to the 816 Menominee Street days and order a Little Caesars. And he's like, I've never had Little Caesars before. He's, like, in love with it now. He's, like, obsessed oh, with Little Caesars. Really? He loves, like, I mean, we got, like, a deep dish pizza. And he's like, this, like, this and, like, the Parmesan garlic and the barbecue wings, like, 
obsessed. I'm like, dude, it's Little Caesars. Like, it's dude. not that great, but that, like, yeah, he's obsessed with it. When in Omaha, I gotta go to when Little Caesars. When in Omaha, I gotta go to Little Caesars in uh, Carter Lake, Iowa. Kevin, <laughs> do you remember when they had the Little Caesars in Oconomowoc? Yeah, weren't they selling crack out of it or something? Yes, that's <laughs> I got shut down. Out the drive through window. Yes. Yeah. But that pizza slapped. Like, we're not as good, I remember. It but, yes. but, yeah, good stuff. Right. Oh, man. Or, like, here's an, uh, one more that I got is, like, when you're trying on new clothes, and you don't want to be there that long to try on new clothes, you grab a shirt that you really like, and it fits you perfectly the first time instead of having to try, like, four different sizes or styles. It's like, nope, this is the style that I want. Yeah. This fits me perfectly. Oh, yeah. Check out. Get me out of here efficiency there's nothing worse than shopping i just want to be out terrible i want someone to do it for me terrible make a mannequin they should make a mannequin of myself just perfectly so then they could just take the mannequin to the store and i could have like my girlfriend shop for me i don't know facts facts have a laser just haul around that mannequin all the time it would be be pretty sick ever do the dirty work man yep All all right All right, that's all I got planned for you guys today. We will be back with a new podcast next week, Thursday. We will skip the Monday episode because of the 4th of July holiday. Deuces. Have a good one.